Let me just pray for the teachers and the Sunday school students. As um, I'll pray for the message now as well. <laughs> Lord, we thank you once again for this evening that you've given us another day for us to learn about you, your ways, and your will for us. As we say that, Father God, we know that you are in our midst, and we ask for your Holy Spirit to be the one to give us the clarity of your message to everyone here tonight. We are grateful, Father, for all the blessings that you've given us. As we recognize tonight that this is Christmas, Christmas is fast approaching us, Lord God, that the day that you've came uh, to this world to become a man. We pray, Father God, that you make our spirits and our hearts sensitive to your truth, to this truth of your message tonight. I pray for your people, Lord God, as they, as they hear my voice, Father, I pray that they are hearing you. I ask for preparations for, um, blessings for my preparations, Lord God, but at the same time, please override them. Let it be you and you alone to speak to your people. Give me wisdom, Lord God, and give all of us, Lord, again, the wisdom that we need for us to understand what you are trying to tell us. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, tonight seems, it feels a little bit weird. Do you agree? Or is it just me? <laughs> it's just me. It's always like that. I'm a weird person anyway. <laughs> so everything seems to be not going as planned for me. I, I entitled our message tonight, The Big Miss. The Big Miss. And my, my software that I'm using when I prepare my message was failing earlier. Instead of me covering myself in prayer once again, because you can't have enough prayer, right? Uh, I end up moving from one place to another. But so please pray for me as, as we move along here. We're still in our Christmas series uh, for this this year. The misses, these are the misses of Christmas, the things that the people that have missed Christmas during that time. So we're not going to be reading so much of the, the Christmas story. We did that last year. Uh, this year we're trying to, uh, like last week we showed the innkeeper, the first person who missed Christmas. So tonight we'll be talking about Herod, King Herod. I don't know if anybody here is named Herod, but uh, if the answer is no, that's for a main reason. The main reason is because he wasn't such a good person. But there have been some big misses in the world. If you don't, you probably have your own missed opportunities, or I call it the big miss. Do you guys know of, um, I have, I'm going to share six big misses in our lifetime. And it's mainly pertaining to uh, financial loss, but I think you'll get the meaning of it as, as we move along. The first is the one-third share of a company for $50,000. That was offered by Steve Jobs to Nolan Bushnell, the man who founded Atari. So Jobs used to work for him, and before Jobs wanted to open Apple, he wanted this guy to invest $50,000 to his new company, one -third of the, and to give him one-third of the company. Uh, Nolan thought it was such a ridiculous number, and who is this employee of mine trying to start his own company, $50,000, what a joke. Um, he turned it down, and he admittedly regrets it to this day. Because Atari, Atari is no longer a household name, but Apple is a, in September, as of September, it's valued at $1 trillion. Right? That's a big miss. Yeah. Nolan Bushnell is a loser. <laughs> Even though he, lost, he lost money there. How about the second one? Feedback turned competitor. How about this feedback? A guy bought a Ferrari. And this guy that bought the Ferrari had some suggestions. He thought the engine was too noisy, the, the interior was too lousy. Now, his name was uh, Ferocio Elio Arturo Lamborghini. He was a mechanic who had passion for cars, and he gave his feedback to Mr. Ferrari, which Ferrari thought, who's this loser trying to give me a feedback about cars? Lamborghini was so insulted that his suggestions weren't heard by Ferrari that he started his own cars. 
Lamborghini. He wasn't into it. He was into tractors. So if Ferrari would have listened to Lamborghini, which he eventually did, he would have had one less comparator. Did you know that the digital camera was already built in 1975? But what were you to do with it, especially if you're Kodak? Kodak was the one that invented digital camera. They had a person that was working with them. His name was, um, I had it here somewhere. <laughs> so he invented it and Kodak had the patent for it. But Kodak was so much into film and paper and, and, and production. So they, they thought, you know, we're going to lose money if we bring this out. So eventually, they're still missed out. Realizing their mistake, Kodak released the first Wi-Fi camera in 2005, which allowed people to email pictures to others. Though new, Kodak didn't develop it further, something its competitors took advantage by 2013. Kodak only escaped bankruptcy by selling its patents off for $525 million. So they started, they had it first, but they were too afraid to change their business platform. How about the fourth one there? 60 million for majority of the stocks. 60 million was offered by Bill Gates to Ross Perot for a share of the majority of the stocks of Microsoft. But Ross Perot thought it was too much money at that time. That was back when Bill Gates was a 23-year-old and his mother was telling him to sell it to Ross Perot. Ross Perot wanted to buy for $40 million. Bill Gates wanted it for 60 He refused. In 1992, in Seattle Times, Perot said, I consider it as one of my biggest business mistakes I've ever made. How about the fifth one? A blockbuster buster deal for only $50 million. Did you know that Netflix, the owner of Netflix, was so desperate to keep his business up and running that he went to Blockbuster and tried to sell it for $50 million. He left that meeting, the CEO is Reed Hastings, he left that meeting with them literally laughing at him. They were laughing at him for what he wanted, $50 million. So we all know who had the last laugh, right? When Netflix began to boom in 2007, Blockbuster tried to adapt, but then, however, Netflix already dominated the market. And Blockbuster just couldn't compete on even terms. By 2010, Blockbuster lost $1.1 billion and was worth $24 million, while Netflix was worth $13 billion. That was in 2010. In 2013, Blockbuster closed down the last of its stores. And so if you haven't returned your videos, you can keep it. <laughs> Um, they closed their last stores as, as of first quarter of 2015. Netflix has an estimated market cap value of $19.7 billion. The last one. Is it too much for $75 million? $75 million was the offer of uh, Zuckerberg to the owner of MySpace. Mark Zuckerberg wanted $75 million dollars from CEO of the MySpace company, Chris DeWolf, and he said it was too much money. In 2008, MySpace owner Rupert Murdoch tried to sell the site uh, for $100 million. There was no takers. In 2011, he agreed to specific media groups purchase, to purchase it for only $35 million. In contrast, by 2013, Facebook was worth $17.89 billion, right? I used money because I feel like we can all relate to it, <laughs> right? There's big, no, 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 let me just say this in caveat. If you came here and you had a business in mind and somebody's offering it to you, this is not God's answer, right? <laughs> can we just make that clear? <laughs> Please pray about it. This is just an example. There are opportunities, there are big opportunities there that presents themselves and sometimes people sell themselves short or they turn them away. And I give this example and I give money as an example because some of us, most of the time, we give up God for money. 
We give up our relationship for God for money. We sell God short. And we sell ourselves short. We give a dollar amount to our, without knowing it, without saying it, we will never admit to it, that we are all putting a dollar amount on our faith against God, not knowing that we are selling ourselves short. That is a big miss. And this Christmas time, we fall into the trap, even us believers, we fall into the trap, oh, oh the best gift ever, a diamond ring or whatever, a vacation time, instead of a real intimate time with the Lord, thanking Him for what this day is signifying. This is the day that the Lord came down and became a man, having all of our feelings, being soft and fragile. We make Christmas about everything else except what it truly is, God coming down and becoming a man. So tonight we're going to focus on Herod, on what happened to Herod. Please turn your Bibles or your Bible apps to Matthew 2, chapter 2, verse. I'm going to be reading verses 1 to 8. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. Still feels a little bit weird. <laughs> I'm gonna be I'm gonna begin reading. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed, and when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem, he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling of cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you. Who will be the shepherd for my people Israel? That's Malachi 5.2 and also 2 Samuel 5.2. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Now again, as we continue with our Christmas series, we are discussing the people that missed Christmas. We are discussing and then we relate ourselves to them on why, on how we could possibly also be missing the real meaning of Christmas. And we will still focus on John 1.14 tonight. And we will cross-reference it to this event in Matthew 2, 1-8. You know, again, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke discuss, discussed or wrote down what happened and how it happened. While John, the Gospel of John, tells us why it happened. Again, John 1.14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory and the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So last week, I focused on the Word. The Logos. Logos, right? So tonight we're going to focus on the dwelt. Tabernacled. Scaneo. That's the, the Greek word. I got that one right. I saw that smile. All right. <laughs> the scaneo. It means to occupy or to reside as God did in the tabernacle of the old. A symbol of protection and communion. To dwell. God dwelt among his people in the tabernacle. That's that. That was back in Exodus 33.10. This was when, if you don't know your Bible, this is when Moses pleaded with God that, they will, that he will continue to dwell with them. But God said, you cannot see me. If you go Exodus 30 verse 20, but he said, you cannot see my face. This is God speaking. For no man shall see me and live. So, I hope you heard me there. Exodus in Exodus, in Moses' time, the only person that had that, that intimate time with the Lord was Moses. And they had to have this tent, the tent of meeting. That was where God tabernacled, dwelt 
among men. And Moses was begging God, stay with us, be with us, stay with us. And in John 1.14, when Christmas time happened, when Jesus was born, that is when God dwelt among us. Do you guys see the main point of that? I'm trying not to get too excited because it's, it's the, the truth of that is just overwhelming. Moses pleaded with him, stay with us. And the only best way God could do it was through a tent. In this tent, that's where you and I will meet. But only you will meet me. But then when Jesus came, that's when Jesus, God dwelt among us. That's Christmas time. That is when God came down from heaven to become man. So when you, every time you sing Christmas songs, every time you say Merry Christmas, please have it in mind that is, that is when God came down to dwell among us and dwelt among us for the main purpose of to die on the cross for your sins and mine to become a sacrifice for the sins we committed against him. So the meaning of when you say Merry Christmas becomes more. It's not so shallow anymore. Do you agree? I have two. That's fine. <laughs> Two is better than nothing, than no one, right? No, think about it. Because Merry Christmas could be just like a happy Thanksgiving moment, right? Or happy birthday. If the person's not really happy that they're still alive, you know, you telling them happy birthday, they're just resenting that happy birthday. <laughs> Tell me that again. Don't remind me. But when you say Merry Christmas, that's when you tell them, you're telling them that this is when God tabernacled with us. God dwelt among us. Then what does that have to do with Herod? Herod missed it, right? Again, if you go to Matthew 2, you guys still have your Bible or your Bible apps there? This is We're just going to be reading 2, 1, and 3, and then 7 and 8. Let me read it again. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Mag Magi from east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born of the king of the Jews, born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard it, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Then Herod secretly called the Mag Magi and ascertained from them the time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. And when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. Now I have that on the header, actions speak louder than words. Because we all know that Herod did not want to worship Jesus. Right? We all know that Herod was just saying that. He was pretending. He was lying about his desire to worship Jesus Christ. What he really wanted to do was get rid of Jesus Christ. Because if you don't know of Herod, let me read to you a few things about him. Herod was the king of the land. He pretended his desire to worship Jesus Christ. But he was fearful because one had been born who was called the king of the Jews. The Greek word there, translated troubled, in this verse, it, it means agitated or, be, or to be stirred up. It carries the idea of total panic. Herod panicked. Why? He was afraid of Jesus, afraid of another king. Julius Caesar appointed Herod's father to be the procurator or governor. Let's just use the word governor. He was the governor of Judea under the Roman occupation. You know, I practiced this before I wrote it down, but still. Antipater then managed to have his son Herod appointed prefect of Galilee. In that office, Herod was successful in quelling the Jewish guerrilla bands who continued to fight against the foreign rulers. After fleeing to Egypt, when the Parthians invaded Palestine. Herod went to Rome and in 14 BC was declared by Octavian and Anthony 
with the concurrence of the Roman Senate to be king of the Jews. He, Herod, invaded Palestine the next year, and several years of fighting drove out the Parthians and established his kingdom. Because Herod was not Jewish, but he was an Edomite, Herod married Marian, heiress of the Jewish house, to make himself more acceptable to the Jews he now ruled. He, Herod, was clever and capable and was a capable warrior. He was an orator and a diplomat, but he also was cruel and merciless. He was incredibly jealous, suspicious, and afraid for his position and power. Fearing a potential threat, he had the high priest and his wife's brother drowned after, after drowned, and after which he provided a magnificent funeral, pretending to be weeping. He then had his wife Marion killed, and then her mother, and then their two, the two of his, his sons murdered, because he was afraid that they will take over his power. So Herod was not a good guy. Not a good guy. If you're thinking for those of you who are still going to have kids, maybe you shouldn't name them Herod. Five days before his death, about a year after Jesus was born, he had a third son, his third son, executed. One of the greatest evidence of his bloodthirstiness and insane cruelty was having the most distinguished citizens of Jerusalem arrested and imprisoned shortly before his death. This is his thinking. Because he knew no one would mourn his own death. He gave orders for those prisoners to be executed the moment he died. Thus, he guaranteed that there would be mourning in Jerusalem. Cold-blooded dude. All right? That barbaric act was exceeded in cruelty only by his slaughter of all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its environs environs from two years old and under that's in Matthew 2 16 remember when when he knew that the Magi's found the baby but they didn't report back to him he got mad and he had all the male children two years and under murdered now can we all agree that that's cold-blooded somebody say yes yes how many abortions do you think our country does year after year now, I'm not here, I'm, I'm probably going to be, be making a political statement because everything becomes political. But if, when you vote, when you vote, when you cast your vote, because that's your responsibility, when you vote, please vote with God's perspective. Now, if you just said that Herod's act of killing the children here is, is evil, let's think about, think about the abortion that's legal. How many kids get murdered? Well, that's, a, uh, that's me digressing. Why did Herod miss Christmas? <laughs> Why did Herod miss Christmas? Herod missed Christmas because of his jealous fear. Now, before you think that there are no more Herods in this world, you only need to read the daily newspaper or your Facebook newsfeed. Man is depraved. There are Herods in every society. But there is a greater lesson for all humanity. Many people miss Christmas because of the same kind of fear that Herod had. Please give me your ears here. Herod was afraid that someone else would take his throne. Amen? He was afraid that someone would take his throne. Today, people are fearful of giving up their own plans, priorities, values, and morals. They don't want to come to Christ Jesus because he will cramp their style. He will lay claim, Jesus will lay claim on their lives. That means that they have to alter the way they live. The media tells people to do their own thing, master their own fate, and chart their own destiny. 
The world is full of kings who will not kneel before Jesus Christ. So, they miss Christmas just like Herod. Now church, loved ones, how about you? Have you said no to Jesus Christ because you are afraid that he will lay claim on your life? Do you want him just as your Savior and not your Lord so much? Do you want to be the king of your own little kingdom and not give it to the king of kings? Now, if your answer is no, that's tragic. You just missed Christmas. I just saw this one person's post. It just shows you that I'm always on my phone too. Uh, um, she was a proud, she said she's proud of her faith who does not believe that Jesus is God. It's the Filipino faith. It's the version of Jehovah's Witness. They just believe that Jesus is a prophet. But she's excited for Christmas. <laughs> Isn't that, isn't that, well, I don't know. I guess I'm the only one laughing. <laughs> I think that's so silly. You want to celebrate Christmas, the birth of Christ, but you don't believe who Jesus Christ is. Now, your actions speak louder than your words, folks. If you profess that Jesus is your Lord, let your actions show it. Let your lives reflect that. Amen? Give up the, give up the throne. Because God knows you, you're not doing a better job. Right? God can do a better job. That's what he's been trying to tell us. All our lives we've been trying to live on our own. And what has, have we ended up to? Misery, right? A miserable life. But for the people who have surrendered their lives to Christ and they constantly obey him, they might fa fail here and there, but they, would, they, would, they have a better life if you, ref if you look at it. So give up your throne. If you accepted Jesus as Lord, let him be Lord of your life. Don't just enjoy the Savior part. There was a story about Muhammad Ali. You know, when he was, you know how he, cocky he was, right? Very arrogant. He was in a plane and they were going through turbulence. So he wasn't wearing his seatbelt. So the stewardess came to him and she goes, Mr. Ali, uh, please wear your seatbelt. And he goes, Superman don't need no seatbelt. Because, you know, he's Superman, right? Superman don't need no seatbelt. You know what the stewardess said? Well, Superman don't need a uh, plane either. So please wear your seatbelt. <laughs> so, folks, what, what part of your life have you not given up to God? Did you, did you just give up your eternal life part, but not the rest? Why is that? You think you can do a better job than him? This is what Herod did. It's a statement to Herod somehow, or the people that live like Herod. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sakes, Jesus speaking... And for the sake of the good news, you will save it. In verse 36, And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Folks, what is it that you gain the whole world let, let, but you go to hell? You become a corrupt official. You enjoy 60 years in, in the public office living a life of a king. You die, you go to hell for eternity. What's 60 years in power here versus eternity in hell? Like Herod, we have a hard time of letting go of what we think is rightfully ours. Herod really thought that the kingship was really his and for his to keep. He was a warrior. He fought for that. He killed people for that. And he didn't care. He even killed his children. Like Herod, we have a hard time letting go of certain things in our lives. Now, the enemy 
like Rome, the enemy is like Rome to Herod. Herod was an Edomite, not a Jew, who serves a, he served as a puppet for Rome. He was just called the king of the Jews, but really somebody else was running him. Rome was running him. He was under Rome. So the enemy to us is like Rome. If you do not surrender to Jesus, you've surrendered to the enemy. The enemy is a, he's the creator of all lies. He's the father of lies. He's making you think that you are the captain of your own ship. Go ahead, enjoy yourself. Forget what the church is saying. Forget what the old Bible is saying. That's not, no longer applies. It's 2020 in a few days. Get over it. That Jesus guy, he's no longer relevant. Everything that you've learned there is no longer relevant. Enjoy yourself. Leave your husband. Leave your wife. Enjoy that affair. Stop working that, that eight, nine to five. Go back to your drug dealing days. <laughs> Nobody's a drug dealer here, I don't think. Right? Go make money the easy way. But then when you get caught, when you get caught cheating, when you catch a disease because of your promiscuity, when you ruin your family, when you ruin your career, is the enemy there to help you? No, the enemy there is laughing at you. He's laughing at you. And he's looking for the next victim. That was Rome to Herod. But Herod was bought into the lie that he was in control. He thought he was king. And no one was going to take it from him. He could care less if the, if the chief priest, the religious people of the land told him, Oh yeah, the Magi, the Magi were right. You know, the Son of God was born. It was written in Micah. He's here in Bethlehem. What was his next thing? Oh, go ahead and find them. Go find him and then tell me so I can worship him. My gosh. If he really believed that the Son of God was born, and the, the people that are studying this already told him that, shouldn't he had the urgency to say, let me go with you? If he made the order to kill all the children in the land, two years and under, why couldn't he make the order saying, let's find the Son of God right now in Bethlehem? You know why? Because he wasn't really interested. He wasn't really interested. What he was really interested in doing is like, All right, once you find him, if that's true, whether it's true or not, I'll kill him because I want to keep my power. So it's the same thing. It's the same thing, same thing when you talk about Jesus to your friends and your, and your family. That they could care less. If they re really don't want Jesus anyway because they don't want to change your life for him, they know. Most of my friends know what it means when they have to surrender their lives to Christ. They tell me right away, dude, I can't change. It will be so hard for me to stop what I'm doing. That's their first rejection. And I tell them, you have to come as you are. I'm not telling you to change before you come. I'm telling you to come now the way you are because that's what I did. I came to him as dirty as I was because that's the main reason why he came. He knew none of us are clean. So yeah, sometimes when you share Jesus to them, they're not interested. They could care less. They're not even, they're not even there to try to prove that you're right. They're just there to tell you, I don't care. I can argue with you because, you know, I'm not that bad of a person anyway. I mean, who asked Jesus to come down and pay for my sins anyway? There's a, there's a New Yorker who wrote that and put it on paper. He said that, you know, the Christians are going to be telling us that Jesus came down and died on the cross for our sins. And his line was, who asked him to do that? The thing was, nobody did. Nobody did. Nobody asked Jesus to do that, right? Even before we needed him, he was already provided. Even before we think we were going to accept him, while we were his enemies, he died on the cross for us. That's Christmas. That's Christmas. But us, we walk around this world thinking that we are the king and the queens of our own lives. We are the captain of our ship. 
Nobody tells us what to do. We are our own bosses. Right? Something has to change. Herod the Great achieved power in Judea with Roman backing. He brutally suppressed all opposition. Herod was a friend of Mark Anthony. Not the singer, but the other guy. But unfortunately, an, <laughs> an enemy of Antony's mistress, Cleopatra. When Octavian Augustus, Caesar defeated Antony and Cleopatra, Herod submitted to him, noting that he had been a loyal friend to Antony until the end. Herod promised that he would now be no less loyal to Caesar. And Caesar accepted this promise Herod named cities for Caesar and built temples in his honor. Herod knew how to be a politician. Herod knew how to use his influence. Herod knew how to keep his power. I'm not saying that without Jesus, you don't know how to live. You have your own way to live. I'm not saying that only Christians are successful in business. Most of the time, it's not. Because sometimes the money becomes the idol. That's why for Christians it's so hard to be successful in that. But there are many Christians who are successful in business. But we need to make sure that we have to give up our kingship. We have to give up our throne for the rightful owner of it, which is Jesus Christ. This is Timothy Keller's uh, quote. He says, How do you change your behavior? Change what you worship. Now, let's pause there. Do you agree with that? What you worship determines everything that you do for it. Because the next part says, Worship is offering all that you are to all that is that something else is. If you worship actors or in movies, your, your whole life will reflect that. If you worship money, your whole life will reflect that. So on and so forth. Whatever you worship, whatever hobby you're worshiping, if, you're, if you love traveling, you're always traveling. But then if you have a problem with your behavior, then you have to change what you worship. Paul knew this. Paul knew it. And Paul changed his life, right? But before that, let's look at this. Exodus 33, 15. This is Moses. Then he said to him, Moses speaking to God, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. Moses, after experiencing everything with the Lord, after he witnessed all the miracles, after he saw that God used him, a shepherd, against Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, and that the Israelites was released from the power of the Egyptians, after the waters parted, right? Moses knew who God is. And this line here says, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. Leave us here. Have you ever been in a trip in a very nice place? But then you were with someone who was so grumpy, right? Debbie Downer is her name, right? You guys are in a restaurant eating the best meals, something you've been watching in Travel Channel. You're like, golly, I finally have the dish. But then the person that you're with is just depressed, and it's just there like dragging you down. Her energy, his energy or her energy is just rubbing off you. Like the negatives are just like flowing. Like, Have you ever been in that trip or a restaurant or that with that person? It doesn't matter what you're eating, right? It doesn't matter how good. What, it doesn't matter if this is the dream. Like this is a dream right here, but I can't enjoy it because of, Right? I can't enjoy this trip. I can't enjoy Paris right now because, right? And then have you ever been in a room, 
simple room, white walls, two chairs, and laughing your tail off with the right person. And you're saying, man, this is one of the great, greatest times of my life. I love you, man. I love you, babe. And then they say in return, okay. <laughs> right? It doesn't matter where you are or who cooked the meal. It matters who you're with. Correct? Some of you I still need to convince. <laughs> but tell me once you go on that trip and then your, your partner or, or the person that you're with just kills the mood. Paul got it. Oh, not Paul. Moses got it here. He said, if you're not going with us, I can die here. Because I, could, I would rather die with you and be in this boring desert or mountain than be somewhere else without you. Have you come to that point with God? We need to get to that point with Him. Is this Christmas not meeting your expectations because you're not getting the gifts or you haven't bought the gift, the gift that you think your partner or your, your, your wife or your husband or your children are expecting? Have you made Christmas about something else? Rather than God. Are you living your life for someone else now rather than for God? You need to be where Moses was here. He was so convinced that he would rather be with God in a mountain, alone with him, and not go anywhere else rather than going anywhere without God. Can you say the same thing? That you can be doing or be somewhere really nice. But God's not there. Can you say the same thing? Like, Lord, I'd rather not be there. I'd rather be with you. Paul, in Philippians 1.21, he said, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul left a life when he was Saul, a life of this. He was a very important person in the church. He was very influential. I'm imagining that he was doing really well financially. He was probably living a very luxurious life, comfortable. Only for him to become Paul. <laughs> and then he was subjected to ridicule, to stoning, to whipping to shipwreck, to public shaming, to imprisonment. And he even ended up killing, almost killing somebody by his preaching. <laughs> I think that's the worst insult to Paul, I would say. <laughs> his preaching was so long and was so boring that somebody fell. <laughs> fell asleep and fell on the second floor and then boom! And everybody goes, He's dead. Paul killed him. Because <laughs> he was still on Genesis 2. It's been five weeks. <laughs> well, good thing Paul had the power to heal, right? So now I don't have the power to heal. So if you fall asleep and you fall and end up hurting yourself, <laughs> you're on your own. <laughs> Paul left a life of lux luxury, a comf comfortable life for Jesus. For Jesus. Paul did not live, when he says here, for me to live is Christ, he wasn't saying, well, my life is great. I'm famous. I'm well-loved. Everybody likes me. No. That wasn't the case. That wasn't the case at all. But he was saying that his life is for Christ. His life is for Christ. That he, if, he, if God continues to make him live, he will spend everything in his power, every second of his life, to bring someone to Christ. To bring someone to Christ by his teaching, by his love, and that he will spend all, even his money, whatever money he has, 
was for to build another church, to disciple someone else, to help somebody in the church. That was Paul. He knew what he, who he was living for. Because he, for, for him, he says, to die is gain. What's the worst thing that will happen to a Christian? We die. That's the worst thing. And when we die, where, where do we go? We go to heaven. But most of us, unfortunately, for us, to live is money. For us to live is success in this life. For me to live is uh, X amount of houses or X amount of dollars for my retirement. X amount of cars that I'm driving. The, the, the car that I've been live, dreaming of. For me to live is that. To enjoy this life however short, however long God wants it for me. And to die is heaven. <laughs> I win either way. Now I'm not saying that you should be miserable for you to be called a Christian. But what I'm saying is, is your life really for God? Are you living for Him? Are you spending all your time and your energy for God? Or are you using God, and I know we've discussed this for many weeks already, are you using God as your ATM? Are you using God as your genie? The intention for any human being is to, is to sincerely not miss any opportunity. Not miss, that's our, that's, nobody wants that. If somebody will tell you, talk to this guy because you'll be rich after you talk to him because he'll teach you how to start a business, what will you do? You'll probably do it. But it's not our intention to miss out on anything. Whether it's for material, material gain or, I'm hoping, also for spiritual reasons. I don't think we intentionally miss out for us to learn about God. But the problem is this. I think that we have not really convinced ourselves that we should live for Him completely. I don't think that we have all completely surrendered the throne of our lives. In Herod's case, the power mattered to him more than anything, anything, and more than anyone else. It, was, it meant more to him than meeting and seeing and serving God. He didn't care that Jesus was there in Bethlehem. He could care less. He missed Christmas because what he cared about was his power. Now, folks, you could miss Christmas too if you would care about something else and someone else above God. Now, an opportunity, Herod was given an opportunity that Moses wanted. Right? Moses wanted, Moses wanted that. But Herod could care less and went about business as usual. His selfish ambition rather than serving God. This Christmas time, let's be mindful not to miss, not to miss the real meaning and to miss the real person and reason for this season. Let's spend time with God. Spend more time with Him. More than three minutes, please. Maybe add another minute there. And try to really talk to Him. Don't just ask things from Him. Try to really talk to Him. Amen. Try to read more about Him. Don't just look for verses so you can start dating the guy or the girl. Or starting that business. Let me see that verse. Go ye and start ye business. Yay, yay. <laughs> there you go. Don't just look for that verse. Go read the Word. Read it. Let it be your mindset. Let it be your desire. That as this year ends, let it be your desire that you will live for Christ. And as another year approaches, let it be your desire and your mindset that you will start living for Him. Can somebody say amen? Amen. amen. 
Now, I'm going to close with this. Now, we all don't know who we're meeting, right? And how big or how famous they're going to be. I've shared this story before and um, to some people, and, and this is one of my big misses. I have this one. I was in the Philippines. I was still dating Analu. We went to Cassini Filipino. <laughs> we didn't gamble. We went there for a boxing match. It was the Philippines versus Korea. All right, so many matches, many matches. And there was this one scrawny little guy with white shirt and a big fat gold chain, looking like he came from Saudi because they're all wearing gold all the time. You know, he came up in the ring and started thanking people. Thank you for your support, blah, blah, blah. I was like, who is this joker, man? And I saw the actor, if you're from the Philippines, his name's Dolphy. I saw Dolphy from across him. And I couldn't wait to meet Dolphy because Dolphy was like a father to me. Because <laughs> my father wasn't around. And I always watch his movies. So I'm like, I, got, I, got, I have to meet that guy. So this boxer stopped, stopped talking. So it's a meet and greet time. I had to push. And there's this, this boxer guy again was there. And I'm like, dude, excuse me. I need to take a picture with Dolphy. Can, can you excuse us? And he goes, oh, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Take a picture. I even I, I tried to look for it. I lost it. I think Papa Gigi has it. I took a picture with Dolphy. I was so happy. Best time. Best time. Uh, three Only for a couple years later, I come to find out that boxer was Manny Pacquiao. The guy was on my way. <laughs> Manny Pacquiao was right in front of me, and I was telling him, excuse me, let me take a picture with Dolphy. You know? so we don't know, right? We don't know who we're meeting. We don't know the opportunities or, or how famous they're going to be. But one thing that I want you to know, that another big miss that you could have, you don't know that the people that God bring across you or, you know, along your way, that you're the only, you could be the only Christian. Please, let me have your ears. You could be the only Christian that that person will ever meet. And I'm hoping... I'm hoping that you will make such a good impression that they will already assume that guy or that girl must be a Christian. I hope that you take advantage of this Christmas time. That as, as they greet you, happy holidays, because they're trying to be politically correct, you say, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Let's close in prayer. Father, we are again grateful to you for your message tonight. I pray that we will always remember, Father, that uh, we are not the Lord of our lives, but you are. I pray that throughout the week, Father, as, as we, we think that we are in control, or we should be in control of our lives, I pray that you will help us make the right decision according to your will. May we be completely and utterly for you. And may our lives reflect you. And as we reflect you with the things that we do and we say, may you be pleased with us. Father, I pray that this Christmas time we will see the truth. The truth that it was you coming down on earth to become man so that you be sacrificed on the cross so that we could be with you for eternity. We are forever grateful for that best gift that you have given us. Nothing can match that, Father. And we are grateful. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And all the Lord's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.